Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Marshall, it's Montone. I got nothing more on that incident in the mine yesterday. It looks like some guy just went wacko. The company's having the body shipped back, or what's left of it, immediately on today's shuttle. It's impossible to do an autopsy. Christ, you should have seen that mess. Anyway, uh, definitely no homicide. There were two witnesses right next to him when it happened. It happens every once in a while up here. Some people just let this place get to them. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay. What you just heard is a snippet from the 1981 science fiction film Outland, in which Sean Connery stars as a federal marshal assigned to investigate a titanium mining outpost on one of Jupiter's moons, operated by a company called Conglomerates Amalgamated. In the scene you just heard, the corporation assures him that nothing's amiss, but as the plot develops, Connery discovers a criminal plot that goes right to the top. We start the podcast with that scene because that's one of the dark themes that emerges in science fiction portrayals of interplanetary corporations. Out of the reach of terrestrial authorities, they become dominated by greed. It's a theme you see from the Spacing Guild and Frank Herbert's Dune Universe to the Tyrell Corporation depicted in the 1982 film Blade Runner. But San Francisco-based venture capitalist and Quillette author Michael Solana takes a different view. As part of our recent series of articles about the settlement of Mars, called Our Martian Moment, he argued that we must depend on large corporations to provide the capital and the competence that will be necessary to manage the enormous task of colonizing another planet. And he isn't put off by the fears brought to life by Hollywood directors. Following the publication of his recent article, In Mars Co. We Trust, Understanding the Coming Interstellar Corporatocracy, I spoke to him over the phone. Here are excerpts from our conversation. Okay, so we've all seen sci-fi movies where the oligopoly or monopoly that controls interplanetary commerce is super evil. Why would it not be super evil in real life? Yeah, I, I think that I would start by just saying the burden of proof for or burden of argument even for expecting some kind of super evil like dystopian environment is more on on you than me. Uh, we don't see any evidence for these like perfected dystopian states surviving for very long in history. One, two, I, I think Hollywood, I mean, I've written quite a lot about this and spoken a lot about it in my podcast. Uh, season one is just about kind of going after science fiction tropes um, that we see in, in, uh, in the film industry. They're not really trying to predict the future. They're not trying to construct any kind of future reality that we would want to live in. Their entire purpose is to create an exciting film and uh, utopia is not very exciting. You know, you need tension and drama to push a plot forward. And so you have these like crazy, you know, Hunger Games-esque scenarios, um, Mad Max-esque scenarios that that in fact make no sense. Like they, they can't sustain themselves. Worlds like that could not survive. Governments like that could not survive. But they make for really, really compelling drama. And you get a hero and they kind of get to fight the bad guy. It's really black and white and easy and simple. You have a line like this in your piece. You say, 
The crowded, polluted, war-torn dystopian view that dominates our media today reflects a series of anxieties about our world as it currently stands. But it's not just sci-fi, right? We see on our own planet, when you have environments where a single corporation doesn't have checks and balances, and it controls the entire environment, it controls the goods that come into that environment, the goods that go out, the amount of people get paid, quality of air and water and that sort of thing, that they don't even have to be super evil, lacking checks and balances, they can become at least amoral. The example in North America would be, say, the West Virginia coal town from the 1930s. No, I, I think the example in North America is Disney World, and everybody loves it. It's like the happiest place on the planet. It's the closest analogy we have to a, a corporate-run city. And in fact, it is a city, and everybody loves it. Uh, Walt Disney, when he um, before he died, he was planning... Epcot Center that was supposed to be the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. It was going to be almost exactly what I described in the essay, a corporate run, a technological utopian city where everybody would kind of be opting in. I think a lot of the things I, I had in the essay about property ownership and things like this, he didn't quite address. I, that's just kind of me thinking out loud and sort of trying to figure out how you could make something like this work and how you could make change inside of a city work. But, but that was, that was what his goal was. This was, this is not like a, it's not actually a crazy idea. We have a long history of people talking about, you know, well, our cities don't seem to, to be working right now. Uh, they don't seem really built for change, especially not technological change. What kinds of things would work? What kinds of things could we try to bake into the concept of a city change itself, the ability to change? How do you make that happen? And my idea of a, of a, of a corporation as a city, of a company that is a city that you opt into, that you buy a share of, you don't want this one anymore, you sell your share, you move to a different city. I mean, that's just a way that I think this works, that you could, you could keep, you could build a city that could change for every generation. This is just the only model I see I see working. And again, like I said, in terms of, of the closest analogy, that would be Disney World, even the Disney World of today, not the Epcot dream, really, that D D Disney, Walt Disney himself had. But just today, you go down there, it's like you have you know, thousands and thousands of people. You have a perfectly working public transportation system. Um, you have farming uh, sort of on premise. You have recycling, power generation. You have management. It's technically an incorporated city. Um, it's 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 spectacular. As a little kid, this is, I think, what set me off probably on on all of these types of fantasies. I just remember going down to Disney World as a little kid with my family and, and being in complete awe of what was supposed to be a fake city working better than any other city I had ever been to in my life. So we all love Disney World. I was just at Disney World last year with my kids. But with Disney World, there's a kind of self-selection. The, the kind of people you see there tend to be people who have enough money to go to Disney World. You don't have to be spectacularly rich, uh, but generally it's people who have spent hundreds or thousands of dollars to be on that vacation. And Disney World isn't in the business of caring for the sick. It's not in the business of dealing with homeless people. Would you trust a company to run on a planet things like emergency care uh, in the absence of direct on-site government regulatory oversight. Uh, I mean, Disney World does a great job for consumers, but can it that model serve the needs of everyone in society? Right. Well, of course, we're not talking about Earth. We're talking about Mars. And on Mars, there's also a self-selection process. We're not going to be attracting the average person and probably not even the middle-income person. We're talking about highly technical people, engineers, scientists, doctors. Um, we'll have roboticists 
most likely bioengineers. Uh, so like the sort of nascent biohacking community, I expect to mature into something much more significant in the future. Um, these are going to be highly cerebral people, highly capable people with a purpose. I think on Earth, everything gets complicated. Of course, there is something almost metaphorical about the idea of the Martian city. We are in a way talking about Earth, you know, what could the future look like? But yeah, of course, everything on, on Earth is going to be a little bit more complicated. Earth is obviously to put it mildly, a mature society. And your article, and it sounds like a lot of your thinking, is primarily but not exclusively directed toward the idea of society formation. How do you build up the first stages? How do you get to critical mass? How do you get an economy up and running? Uh, how do you get, in the case of a terraform planet, how do you get it environmentally up and running? So just to be clear, what you're talking about here in terms of corporate oversight this is governing the startup phase of, say, a Martian operation. But is this something that you see going in perpetuity? Or eventually, does this corporate oversight model uh, migrate into something that what what looks like on Earth with a distinction between the private and public sector? I think that uh, that on Mars, you kind of you would almost need something like this. I, I don't see a way, and I, as I illustrate in the piece, I don't really see a way for democracy to work in an environment where the wrong choice ends in your actual death. So, and it's like, it's like the wrong choice on the sort of mechanical issues. Uh, like we're going to be, we're going to have to move things around. I think I said in the piece, something like, um, you know, if a Martian neighborhood needs to be rearranged in order to adequately protect it from lethal radiation, the neighborhood is going to be rearranged, right? If new housing or nuclear power plants need to be built, they're going to be built. If the city needs to move, which will likely be the case because uh, as you're terraforming Mars, the environment's going to change completely. So sea levels will rise or, or whatnot and places will have to physically leave. Um, it, they will leave. As, this, as I think the world matures, who knows for sure, but I expect that at that point you'll have a culture that is much more open to the idea of this kind of model, this government model. And I also expect it to work pretty well. And if it's working really well, why would you change? Why would you why would you want something that is ancient and clearly doesn't work? Just come to San Francisco for a minute and you see the problems inherent in direct democracy for things like should we build a bridge or a road or whatever else? It's like people just shouldn't be voting on these things. You make a very strong case that democracy as such would not be a workable solution on Mars. Because as you say, there's just all these urgent mission critical things to do with the atmosphere and the way people live. And unless they're done a certain way, overseen by technocrats who know what they're doing, everyone dies. So in, in that context, democracy doesn't work. But the separate question is whether you still would have a public sector of some kind, even if it's not a democratic public sector. Would you have an overlay of what we think of as politics on top of the corporate supervision of the technical aspects of the economy? I imagine you'd have a politics that is that looks a lot like the kind of politics you see at Amazon or something. There are all sorts of corporate politics there, but Jeff Bezos runs the place and he runs it well and everyone's happy with it because the company is doing well. And probably as long as the company is doing well, the leadership would be in place. And if it wasn't doing well, there'd be a shakeup. Uh, in the kind of vision that I framed, it, everyone is an owner. Everyone in the city has at least one share of the city. So everyone has an economic incentive for the city to do well, to thrive. And I think that as long as that incentive is there, people are going to hold the leadership accountable in, in, in some way, but it's, it's not going to be 
anything like what you see in an American city, um, and especially not a California city where, uh, again, the concept of direct democracy is really mainstream. And what I mean by that is like just voting for for all sorts of crazy things that really our legislators should be in charge of. Everything, again, from like bridges and tunnels to like, I don't know, building a giant dam or a massive seawall or whatever else. Like these are just not things that, that the average person knows anything about and should be in charge of. And on Earth, it's fine, whatever. You make a mistake, you spend a few billion dollars, it's annoying, it's really bad for the economy, nobody dies. On Mars, you make a mistake like that and, you know, the whole city could just end. The corporate world has its version of democracy, which is the shareholder meeting. Do you see corporate shareholder democracy, uh, shareholder revolts, that sort of thing being something that plays out on Mars as a way to overturn the leadership that you don't like? Yeah, maybe. These things can't be predicted. We see this in science fiction. You get things kind of roughly right, but all the weird details wrong. I I wrote about this previously. I wrote about Martian predictions previously, where I I think it's like there are just so many new challenges that... we're not really going to know until we get there. I think it's it's going to be a world of new things. And when there are new things, there are new sort of solutions to those things. When I raised the idea of an interstellar corporatocracy or just a corporatocracy on Mars and then spreading out into the stars, then making it interstellar, what I'm trying to stress is just how completely different it's going to feel. It's, it's just not going to, I think my main point is just that it's not going to look anything like earth. And so in terms of government, in terms of culture, in terms of society, it just can't. Then I think what happens is, you know, you end up when you're on a frontier, any technological frontier, culture frontier, you learn things that you would never have learned had you not gone. And maybe we incorporate some of those things back on earth. But yeah, I mean, in terms of, are there going to be shareholder revolutions and, you know, what are the exact mechanics of that going to look like on the board or, or whatever else? I'm, yeah, I'm really not sure. I just know that it's going to be weird. We've reached the midpoint in this Quillette podcast, which will resume very shortly. But first, a short message from our commercial supporters at BetterHelp, an online counseling service that helps people become happier and more productive. By logging on at BetterHelp, you can connect with your professional licensed counselor in a safe and private online environment according to your own pace and schedule using secure video or phone sessions, as well as online chat and text. Some of the specialties of BetterHelp counselors include depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationship problems, sleep trouble, and trauma. BetterHelp uses a network of 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 U.S. states, and you can switch therapists at no charge to make sure you find the right fit. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. And of course, anything you share with the professionals at BetterHelp is strictly confidential. Quillette podcast listeners get 10% off their first month's service by using the discount code Quillette. If you'd like to know more, please go to betterhelp.com slash Quillette. That's betterhelp.com slash Quillette. And now back to our podcast. But there are some elements of this vision you have that they hearken back to some older concepts we had, such as the idea of the independent commercial city-state. We think of, of, of Florence or Siena or, or Venice hundreds of years ago, where instead of what we now think of as, as large nation-states, often you had individual cities with enormous commercial power negotiating with each other and sometimes fighting with each other. 
would the interplay between these corporate-run communities that might exist on a terraform Mars, would they interact with each other in, in a roughly analogous way? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they might. They're going to be in direct competition for people. Um, they're they're going to want citizens who are smart and capable. And so I'm not sure how that plays out. I mean, we see that on Earth. I think it's we're going to see that on Mars. We'll probably see that as long as people persist in this specific way until we evolve ourselves out of these kinds of behaviors if we ever do if we even should i'm not sure uh, my sense here is that yeah probably this kind of stuff is always going to be a part of us one of the premises contained in your article is the idea of human beings as an asset for these corporate run communities that exist but what if humans are not seen as an asset we already have such advanced robotics what if it's the case that economics change in such a way that these communities can be run in a virtually human-free way? Uh, would it start to become the case that these corporations would become indifferent to the number of human citizens they had or even give them financial incentives to leave? I would love to believe that we're approaching a world of mass automation of labor and we could all just live you know, in bliss and have robots serve us and whatnot. I think this is sort of like an Andrew Yang fantasy. And I was myself a believer in this 10 years ago when I thinking about the technology industry, then eight years ago when I moved out to San Francisco to work for Founders Fund, I, I really thought this was going to happen. And I've not really seen the evidence. I don't know what people are talking about when they talk about this as being just on the horizon. It seems like it's been just on the horizon for a long time. We can't even figure things out like self-driving cars, which again, eight years ago, people said was imminent. I, I think it would be a rich man's problem to be living in a world of, of perfect automation, frankly. But I'm asking in the specific context of a system of incentives where the incentives are supposed to be attracting humans, what happens when the economic value of humans becomes negative? That would be a massive paradigm change because you're, you're also taught to make that happen. You have to have such incredible technological advance that presumably you don't even need the protection of the city anymore. If robot labor, if robotic labor is that cheap, then probably anybody could just live wherever they wanted. I, I don't know what that would look like to have basically, I mean, technologically sovereign people uh, on a on a world like Mars. I mean, every single citizen could potentially have the technological capabilities of an entire city themselves. I mean, that's really what you're talking about. To get to that place, the technology would have to be that good. Um, and that sounds really exciting to me uh, and also really strange and even more alien than Mars. It's really hard to predict something like that. But that's always what happens when people bring up a, a question like this. It's like it's like it seems scary in the context of of Earth. Like we're, we're, we're like, oh, well, what if we just lost, you know, all of these jobs? We're not thinking about about everything that got us to that point and how that changes, you know, everything else around it. I was looking for pictures of dystopian science fiction landscapes a while ago, and I found a bunch of really great ones. Um, and they all they always had these like, you know, these really destroyed looking urban hellscape environments with like people in rags running away from these crazy flying robots with lasers and they're like hovering in midair. They're clearly like powered by some crazy fuel source that is unimaginable to people today. And I think like, okay, well, in a world that has technology, the technology where, where you could build something like that, you you also have ubiquitous energy. You have you have unlimited energy. Uh, you have these incredible technological advances that that we just are not seeing. The author or the illustrator of that picture is is not thinking about like how that leap in in our technological capability would make everything better across the board. At the beginning, I 
brought to mind some traditionally dystopian portrayals in movies of corporate-run interplanetary ventures. I'm wondering if there are any books or movies that get this right in your mind about how the future might look on other planets with corporations taking the lead. Throw a book out there, uh, Neuromancer, which presents at one point a kind of like what you talked about Disney World, a sort of little bit of an interplanetary Disney World aspect to it uh, in the later stages of the book. What are your thoughts on imaginative fiction writers or directors who got this vision right? So uh, my favorite science fiction author is Robert Heinlein. I don't know that he gets everything right. And he has like, I mean, this is a guy, he has a lot of, frankly, like weird sex stuff um, in his books. But uh, in terms of self-determination and small groups of people moving to different planets and living how they want. Also, on a, in a book like The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, I think he really captures what it would look like on a really hostile world. How, like, how do you build a city on a really hostile world? Yeah, I think he's really good at that kind of stuff. I don't like Neuromancer. I don't, it's like, it's just the aesthetics of it bothered me. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big Heinlein fan for, for that kind of stuff. But then for the future broadly, I thought that, uh, we're talking about artificial intelligence. Everybody is obsessed with this movie Ex Machina when that came out. And that, that came out right around the same time as another movie that I think actually got general AI right. If this is a thing, I think it would look much more like the movie Her and Ex Machina. Her is cool. The reason I love it is because it like really tries to address the fundamental weirdness of what an AI would look like and feel like and sound like, really. These things are not going to look like they look today. We're not going to we're not going to have an artificially intelligent robot that looks like a human. In a world where everything is different, these things will also be different. You seem young, and within your lifetime, it may be the case that people visit other planets. If you were picked for a team that would live on a semi-permanent basis on a place like Mars, is that something that would interest you? The answer is no, which is surprising to a lot of people because I talk a lot about Mars. I don't care. I've never cared about an adventure to Mars, getting in a rocket ship. I've We talk about rocket launches all the time, and it's like, I'm glad they exist. I know a lot about SpaceX. He's an incredible company. I think Elon Musk is a brilliant person. I'm so glad that he exists in the world. But I've never been excited about these launches and watching them and, and the new rocket models and things like this. And I'm not excited about the idea of going to a hostile alien world and trying to survive. What I've always been excited about and interested about on the question of Mars is is what does a new world look like? So not just living there, not being the first, not being an adventurer, but this idea of being able to architect your own reality. And this is why, I mean, I'm really excited about Walt Disney. I've always loved him. I'm excited about the Garden Cities or movement or, or, or what have you. And and the question for me, the exciting question for me about Mars is is that thing. It's like a more mature Mars. Like once you start building a city, it's like, wow, if you could just start over – what would you do differently? If you could do anything, now you have to do, you have to start over. You have to leave behind all of the other, you know, ways that we've done things for thousands of years. What would you do? Well, what have we learned? I want to visit Mars after the first corporatocratic state <laughs> has been formed. Then I'm excited to go and take a walk around. And so it'd be more like Del Boca Vista, Mars phase two. That would be kind of when you... Yeah, do. I think so. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a Seinfeld. Maybe you're too young for Seinfeld. That's, uh... <laughs> no, I'm not too young for Seinfeld. Michael Solana, thank you for joining us. Mr. Solana's article on Quillette is called In Mars Co. We Trust, Understanding the Coming Interstellar Corporatocracy. Thank you. Have a good one. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. 
If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.